becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger is a dream that you to This is a uh, the podcast is a shoeless zone, <laughs> which is funny because I think both of us are pretty anti the shoes off in the house rules in general. Shoes off in the house. What do you mean? Like you're not a family that uh, requires people to take shoes off when you come, they come into your house. No, but I definitely <clears throat> take my shoes off when I get in the house. You do. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, remember, I remember there was one season of life that I wasn't taking my shoes off and Allison's like, why, why aren't you taking your shoes off? <laughs> You're in bed. Like. <laughs> yeah, in bed. Sleep. <laughs> like, you keep kicking me with your shoes. Making love. <laughs> God damn it, Michael. Uh, hey, cheers. Cheers. To the shores. To 101. 101. A new century in shores of ignorance. Wow. Time. Uh-huh. And we're celebrating with some McCraig and Moore oh, scotch. Yeah. Uh, sponsored by Leah Kelly, my mother-in-law. Mm. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. Yeah. And she does not, uh, what do you call it? Um, she neither confirms or denies anything that we say on this podcast. So it cannot be attributed to her. <laughs> not financial advice. <laughs> not financial advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. These views are Matt and I's alone. <laughs> I'd like to know your thoughts. How do we kick off this next hundred episodes? This is an important moment. No pressure. I know. Exactly. Well, you have the quote to kick it off. Yeah. I think that's a, I think it's a good place to start. Okay. Um, well, before we get to that, let's okay. start. I thought it would be good to start by um, just reiterating or reviving sort of our mission and what we're doing here and hmm. why we've named this the way that we've named this. Oh, good call. Something we talk about here and there, but here at the beginning of the next the next 100, mm-hmm. felt like a good time to do that. Yeah. yeah. Sounds cool. Do you want to um, set that up? Yeah, let me set it up and you you knock it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I think that's where we're good at. I kind of set things up and then you kind of like put it to the keys together and like <laughs> send it over the fences. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, shores of ignorance. Uh, uh, basically, man, I've been having these conversations since around 2011, 10, mm-hmm. 12, somewhere in that area. We don't know. It's like we've known each other forever. Um, and. Uh, so as we were thinking about doing a podcast and I was thinking about, you know, what do we, what do we do? And what is this kind of, uh, uh, what kind of symbolizes, uh, the things that might have been doing over the years. And there's a quote my brother put in a journal he gave me in 1999, I believe it was 98 or 99. And it said, uh, author anonymous or unknown, I guess it was, but he's and it said, uh, as, as, um, as my island of knowledge expands, so do the shores of my ignorance. And that's something that's always kind of stuck with me. And I felt like also symbolizes our, uh, uh, kind of what Matt and I do on a, used to be Fido Fridays and, and pretty much anytime we got together was we kind of go out to this place. Uh, it's in between the, the sea and the island. And it's kind of that place where, you kind of work through things that you don't know and you bring with, with, with you the things that you do know. So the Island of knowledge is 
the things that you know and kind of have figured out or have some working knowledge of. And the sea is sort of the sea of chaos that is new things, new material, things that are, um, you know, uh, kind of kind of hazy and foggy. And so you kind of come out to the shores where you are able to kind of work between the two things of knowing and not knowing and sitting there and kind of uh, in the paradox. So the shores are also kind of kind of also symbolic of the paradox mm-hmm. of knowing and not knowing. Yeah. And also that just that whole idea of like the shores sitting in between order and chaos, the island and the ocean, uh, you know, has a has a really strong symbol for me particularly like uh, when I was in college uh, I was a philosophy student and history uh, student and uh, it drove me nuts listening to all these philosophers talk about things and I would sort of take on their philosophies and sort of almost like wear them like clothes and try to like kind of like what does it feel like to live inside this philosophy and you know, you try it went on and it's like, oh, this kind of fits good. And then all of a sudden you start feeling the scratches or something doesn't fit right. And it's like uncomfortable. And then you start getting into problems. Maybe you can't touch your toes because your jacket's too tight or something. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but so I, I would do, I kind of did this over and over again. And it was really frustrating because it, I, I couldn't find a philosophy that was sort of all encompassing, you know, something that I could really truly dive into all the way. Uh, there was always some, some error or something that didn't fit right within it, you know? Uh, so it's something that really helped me during that time. And I don't know where I got this from and I'm sure I read it from somewhere, but, um, this whole idea of like, I know who I am, but I also don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. Like those two things exist simultaneously, uh, as in a paradox. And, and I started seeing this in my, my life all around me. Like, you know, I know Matt, but I also don't know Matt. Um, you know, I'm learning about who he is every day. It's like my wife I've known for 22 years, 20 years. Shoot. I don't even know how long now. Uh, 20 years, <laughs> 20 <laughs> years of summer. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, I know her, but I also don't know her. And I, so I found that this, this sort of paradox existed everywhere that I went to and that I had to kind of learn to live in that space in between. Mm-hmm. And that quote, the island, as my island of knowledge expands, so do the shores of my ignorance. And that shores kind of represent that space in between knowing and not knowing. Um, so that's kind of a... Yeah, if I could summarize what your philosophy is, <clears throat> it would probably be that I know myself, yet I do not know myself. Yeah. I know, but I don't know. <clears throat> I feel like there's something in it, because I, again, at certain aspects, you're focusing on the things that you do know about yourself, and it's really valuable to like... Mm-hmm. make proclamations and statements about who I am, you know? So it's really important for that to happen. But then there's other times in your life where you really need to be able to like, who am I? Like, what do I like? Where are like, who are you? What do you, what do you like? Like my, my wife of 20 years is like, who are you? Like, I don't know you. And there's a good time. There's a time to be in those spaces. Um, but I like a pendulum. You don't want to stay in one of those spaces too long. Cause I think that's where, you know, <clears throat> uh, humility, I kind of think lies in that space. All the shores also, because you, you, you confront the, uh, you confront the unknown, but you also hold a certain amount of known. Yeah. Within I, you. I love the, so inside the quote, <clears throat> 
As the island of my knowledge expands, so do the shores of my ignorance. Mm. There's a paradox embedded in that that reminds me of what I think it was Socrates said about, I just had <laughs> this fear that I never hit record. Um, <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <clears throat> this quote from Socrates, something like I'm, he who is wise or does not know he's wise, something like mm. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> something about the wiser you are, the more you know how not wise you are. Mm. And there's, there's a certain humility that has to be adopted in wisdom. And that humility is knowing what you don't know. And <clears throat> I think that's what the analogy or that's what the, the shores of ignorance represents as, as I know more, the, the boundary, the shores mm -hmm. expands, becomes larger. Yeah. And, and someone who knows very little also knows very little about what they don't know. Their ignorance is small. Mm -hmm. Whereas someone who knows quite a lot, their ignorance is quite large. Yeah. And so you, you have to be, it, it's a call to humility in that. And I think what we're trying to do here and what you and I really in our personal lives enjoy doing and what we're trying to surface in this podcast is like to go to that place where you brush up and explore what you don't know from the vantage point of what you do know. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me because I think when I think about what this podcast is, if I try to describe it to someone, it's a bit difficult mm -hmm. because we don't follow any sort of like uh, predetermined plan or we're not Bitcoiners or right. We don't talk <laughs> about a specific subject yeah. or genre. Mm -hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, every week when I publish our episode, it asks me to specify a genre. And I always pick just a random different one because I'm like, this week was kind of religion and spirituality. This week was kind of politics. Um, you know, but... Because um, there's not a conspiritualist category. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so we're just, we're trying to put ourselves in the position and find that place in a conversation where somehow you come into harmony with another person and into harmony with the tension between what you know and what you don't know. Mm. It's like, it's that flow state that starts to feel very generative and very creative and very, um, um, like discovery oriented mm -hmm. and it's invigorating and exciting. And I think that's what we're trying to create here on a weekly basis. Yeah. And so, and at any moment, it could always fall apart too. And then yeah. you have to kind of like, I think you've heard us over the, over the last hundred episodes, like occasionally go, uh, okay, let's kind of, let's kind of pull back a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of re, re, reconvene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So given the, so almost, well, amorphous, undefined sort of format of what we do here. Mm -hmm. It, it's been interesting to think about having recorded a hundred episodes and to celebrate that. <laughs> uh -huh. And it's felt really like a personal private victory mm -hmm. because we set out to do something, we committed to doing it and we did it. Mm -hmm. And I know we touched on this a bit in episode 100, but I've been thinking a lot about the, the idea of success and what success is. Mm. 
you know, has this podcast been a success? Yeah. You know, I'm not really sure. I think for me and you personally, the answer to that is yes. I think it's been a place where we have developed ourselves sort of with and against one another, Mm -hmm. sharpened and clarified our thoughts on things. I feel like I've matured and grown through this. Oh yeah, totally. Um, You know, but there's a whole other aspect of it, which I think you and I know that we're certainly not a success. Mm -hmm. You know, our listenership hasn't really grown. (laughs) Our incrementally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like any of the numbers that you might just for any given podcast that you might go look at on Spotify or Apple, you would, you would look at one such as ours and go, that's cute. That's, that's not, that's not a successful podcast. Uh, Um, so I, I, I ran across this quote from Viktor Frankl that I want to read and, and see what your thoughts are on his proposition. Um, so I'll read that. It's a couple of paragraphs. So, so bear with me. Don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself, or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Happiness must happen. And the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. I want you to listen to what your conscience commands you to do and go on to carry it out to the best of your knowledge. Then you will live to see that in the long run, in the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. It's a hard to... It's a hard one to. Okay, I mean, I, I'm not sure where I, like where I want to start with like the part I disagree, disagree with or mm-hmm. have a problem with, yeah. or the part that I agree with on it. Like, there's a lot of that sounds like I'm like really for, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot really good there, and he makes a couple of key propositions that I think it might be good to test. Okay and figure out if we agree or disagree. Cause I kind of disagree and I kind of agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first is that success and happiness are alike in that you cannot pursue them. They must ensue. And I think it's a bit of a thin comparison actually. Okay. I think that holds much more truly for, for the idea of happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're trying to be happy, you're probably not going to be interesting. Yes. If you are trying to do something completely different, you will suddenly discover how happy you feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think about like happiness is a byproduct almost. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he makes that statement. Oh, okay. Uh, he says, yeah. Um, it comes as the unattended side effect or as the byproduct of one surrender. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very true of happiness. I think, um, yeah, so success as a side effect is another proposition mm-hmm. that he's making. Um, and then he ends up, and I want to, 
go back and pull out one line, but he goes, but he ends up saying success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. Um, which circles back to his original claim that if you make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. And so, so maybe I'll start with the key, the key question by which we can test all of these claims, which is like, well, okay, what is success then? Mm-hmm. How are you defining success? And just in that, it's almost like, it almost seems like if you, and what he's saying is that if you define success and aim towards it, you'll, you'll never, you'll never achieve it. So that's what he's saying. And that, that might be where my first disagreement is. Yeah. God. Because you certainly won't achieve success without a target that you're aiming at. Yeah. Because what are you, how, what are you measuring? Because I also see success as something that is, it's not something that you, that's, that's you, you come to a crescendo or whatever you call it. And it's like, ah, success, you know? And then that there's, that you're still living, you're still going on. It's like, maybe there's, you could maybe call those small successes along the way, I guess. But when I think of like success, it's like sort of a, it's like the John F. Kennedy center where they're like, toasting an 80 year old who has a lifetime of work behind them and is truly mm-hmm. settling. Right. It's more, that. it's more of a grand thing because mm-hmm. if you apply it on any shorter time scale, it starts to fall apart pretty quickly. Like, cause you mm-hmm. could look at somebody like plenty of people, for example, look at you and say, you're a, you're a success mm-hmm. and they would be right to say so. Yeah. But something inside of you, I know goes, what are you talking about? I want to get started with the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and to make it less personal about you, we all know that story. If you, of any given person, you imagine who's success and you say you're a success, mm-hmm. you know that there's a large part of them that's just going to be like, I don't feel that. I don't mm-hmm. feel like a success. Because the idea of success is somehow relative. It has something to do with movement, with mm-hmm. achievement. So as, as much as, as much accomplishments as you've accumulated or wealth or, you know, however, friends, children, whatever you want to measure that, um, if you stop, Hmm. you don't, because, and and there's going to be plenty going wrong, Mm -hmm. no matter how much you have anything. Yeah. You're pretty not going to feel like it's a success. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, when, in this in this way that we're talking about it, and again, maybe not. Uh, hopefully, we're not taking too far out of uh, Victor Frankl's sort of context mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, but I kind of feel like at any moment that you say success, it's almost like there's death mm-hmm. in that. Interesting. Like there's your goal was too small, your your aim was too too short. Because I, I, I think again, it's it's at some point that you say, you know, was Johnny Cash a success? Well, he put out a lot of amazing mu- music and stuff like that, but they also a lot of left left behind a lot of you know brokenness, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, 
So was he a successful person? Maybe mm-hmm. he was a successful musician or was he like, what were the relationships he had? Mm-hmm. You know, how are we going to base that on again? I don't know enough about music or Johnny cash, but yeah. <laughs> the movie kind of popped in my head when we were talking about this. <laughs> well, maybe something that Frankel's trying to pull out here is that the more that you focus on these definitions of success, the less likely it is that you will sort of at the end of your life, look back and say, I've lived a successful life. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of, um, what would you maybe let's say obituary speech or something? Mm-hmm. I do think there is a time, there is a time frame, and it's usually in your elderhood. You know, not your midlife, but somewhere. Again, this is arbitrary, but between sixty and eighty, you know, you're kind of moving into that place where you can say, "Wow, look at my life." Because mm-hmm. I have, the, I mean, I've always had this picture of seventy-two. That at that seventy two, I could, I could fairly accurately look back on my life and say what it was or what it is, you know, mm-hmm. because there's been enough decades and seasons and relationships that it should be able to speak to me the truth mm-hmm. if I'm willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, or even at forty four right now, I don't feel that that would be true. You know, maybe when I get to seventy two, I might not think that's true. But again death is looming, you know, at that point, you know, it's like, I hope not. <laughs> well, hopefully not. But again, it's like, it's a lot more likely that you're going to die than right. most anything else <laughs> by right. the time you get up there, you know? So the line I wanted to pull out is, <clears throat> I want you to listen to what your conscience commands you to do and go on to carry it out to the best of your knowledge. Mm-hmm. That, well, that to me felt like what we're doing here on the podcast. Hmm. It's like, listen to what your conscious is commanding you to do. Mm-hmm. What is that? You, you know, you're no, you're not really sure. Yeah. Like your conscience doesn't command you to go <laughs> start a podcast that has a million listeners. It might tell you to go start a podcast, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say anything about these metrics, metrics of success. Hmm. Um, and then it says, and then he says to carry it out to the best of your knowledge. And, and to me that says, yeah, you're not going to know how to answer the call of your conscience, the command. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to work it out sort of with this, you know, this, this idea of fear and trembling. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm trying to be true to something that is calling me, something that is commanding me. And, you know, that's why we've done a hundred episodes of this, you know, and by that metric, it's like the answering the call Mm -hmm. we've been successful and I'm much happier about that than I think I would be about any other modern day viral social media measurement of success Mm -hmm. or even monetary like because that's the hard part. Yeah. It's like the showing up, the doing the thing that you don't know what you're doing because that's what you have to do to be true to yourself. That's what you have to do to be true to the part of you that senses inspiration, that senses potential. Mm -hmm. 
What's interesting, because I kind of want to poke some holes in it okay. a little bit. Because what's, what's wrong with, like, I want to start this and get a, I want to have a million followers, you know? Like, that's your goal, and you, you meet that mat- matrix or whatever, you know? It's like... Well, and this is where I think I start to take issue with if you treat success like a target, you're going to miss it. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that in order to move towards anything, mm-hmm. it's like carry it out to the best of your knowledge. What is that? You don't know the right way. You don't know the full, complete way. So you have to set up some goals. Mm-hmm. You have to set up something, right? Yeah. Like you could say, well, we're going to do um, 100 episodes or we're going to shoot to have this many, you know, a thousand listeners by this date mm-hmm. or a thousand Instagram subscribers by this date or something. Those are good things Mm -hmm. because it gives you a construct to work within Mm -hmm. to say, well, we don't know what we're going to do. What should we do? Mm -hmm. You know, well, we should record the episode. Otherwise there's nothing to do. Yeah. You know, and then we should (laughs) probably post about it because Uh otherwise no one's going to know about it Uh and we should take care to do that well and authentically. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, no one's going to care to see it, yeah. you know, and then that, so th- setting up those goals helps you start answer questions about what it is that you should do next. Hmm. But I suspect what Frankel's getting at and what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to scratch at is that those goals are simply that they're goals. They aren't the thing itself hmm. that is worth the doing. Mm-hmm. It's not the thing that your conscious is commanding you to do is not those goals. Yeah. It's, it's the thing itself. It's the thing that those goals are about. Oh, good point. Score. No. <laughs> success. Success. <laughs> We're done. <clears throat> well, now that we've solved that mystery. <laughs> well, that, that, that kind of makes sense is like you, you do put goals in front of yourself in, in order to kind of measure where you are in the process, you know, like, uh, and that might help you get to something that you don't really know what it is. It's uh, it's hard because like there's a there's a shallowness that if it's just about how many listeners or how much money you make, it just seems like it, you you'll you'll re- if you do reach those goals, you'll it's kind of leaves you wanting, I guess it's, yeah. there has to be something. So, so the goals and the, the infrastructure that you set around it has to be aimed at something that you almost don't know what it is. Hmm. There's a, yeah, well think about to stay in podcast land for a second. You, mm-hmm. There's been a lot of people talking about uh, Joe Rogan's listenership mm-hmm. this week. I think because I think that he interviewed Robert Malone, the mm-hmm. doctor who invented the the tech that has enabled the mRNA vaccines. Yeah, and it got taken down by YouTube and censored. And I think that drove a lot of traffic. And he's always had you know one of the biggest podcasts on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen a lot of comparisons recently saying that his audience is like 13 times bigger all than all of mainstream media combined, <laughs> which is absolutely nuts and makes me worried for Joe a little bit. <laughs> like, like if we're in house of cards, he gets taken down for sure. You know, like taken out, uh-huh. uh, pushed in front of a train. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you have to get away from his, uh, his roundhouse. Oh powerful. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should post that on <laughs> so people know what we're talking about. Mm. Um, there was a video of him, uh, like roundhouse kicking a punching bag Dude. and holy crap, yeah. that man has some power. Mm-hmm. 
All I can, all I can feel like I hear, I can hear him saying, "It comes from the hips." Right. It the hips. <laughs> well, but so if you've ever spent any time listening to Joe Rogan, you know that the fact that he has the biggest podcast on the planet is inconsequential to him. Like I'm sure he loves it, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not doing it for that. Yeah. And you could imagine that if somebody were doing it for that, they, you wouldn't really want to listen because it wouldn't be authentic. It wouldn't be something you want to hear. Mm-hmm. You don't want to hear somebody. <sighs> what about the PewDiePie or PewDiePie, PewDiePie yeah. phenomenon uh-huh. where he was like, it was all about getting to the big number. Yeah. Well, that can, can become a, a communal thing. Mm-hmm. Like once you've established an yeah. audience based on something Mm. that's authentic, then you can set up some sort of almost arbitrary goal yeah. and your whole community can rally around it. Cause it's fun. Yeah. Cause he also didn't have, he kind of had a, like, a, I don't give a shit, but I do. It's kind of fun. Right. <laughs> kind of thing about him. Yeah. Yeah. But it reminds me of, there's something that you, you bring up often about your dad saying to you when you were in sports, it's not, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, mm. you know? And there's this paradox in there, which is, bullshit dad (laughs) it matters if i win Uh and the point of the the moral of that lesson is like yes it matters if you win but you won't win unless you adopt an attitude that values the playing of the game over the winning Mm. that's how you win yeah but it's so paradoxical that you have to you have to almost set aside winning in order to win Mm. and Maybe that's part of Prankle's point. Like you don't set it as a target. Otherwise you're going to miss it. You have to. Fuck. I feel like you're channeling my dad at me right now. I'm like, I'm like, yes, dad. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> you're um, right. <laughs> well, you have to concentrate on something more important than sort of the arbitrary target mm. in order to create something which is worthy of, well, of the target. So that's, that's fascinating. What do you, what do you think about this? Do you think the younger you are, the more arbit you almost need those arbitrary targets, like the listener count or the, um, you know, you have to mow the yard. That's that's the goal. You are successful if you mow the yard, you know, or something like that. You need some, but it's all about. But it's not about mowing the yard. It's about learning to be responsible to do something with pride and to, you know, cut the yard in such a way that to discover that sort of beauty that's with an inherent in the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I wonder if there's like a, there's a, there's an age thing there too. I think absolutely. And I think it has, well, it's rooted in the, the, the lesson of the shores of ignorance, mm. which is that when you're younger, you know, so little that your ignorance is so small, mm. you don't, <clears throat> you don't know. Well, you don't know how much there is that you don't know. So I think I brought this up last conversation or the one before this CS Lewis quote that students learning grammar will complain about it Mm. because they have no idea how to imagine the joy that they will receive reading the great works of literature. Mm. And so you have to force them to Mm -hmm. in a way that seems arbitrary to them or seems meaningless to them because they don't have the capacity 
to imagine the meaning yet. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think I do think that especially when you're young, it's really good to have someone older than you, a parent or even friends, teachers, whatever mentors, yeah. mentors to usher you into the revelation of the fact that there are wonderful things that you know nothing about hmm. and the discipline to do things that seem meaningless to you in order to open that up to you hmm. has to be first imposed on you. Yeah. And then as you start to see what's going on, you see what's being unfolded. Well, then it starts to make, you know, as you grow, you're like, well, now I'm self-disciplined. Mm-hmm. Cause I know the, I know what's good with that. Yeah. A lot of times that comes through pain. I think of when I hurt my back, it's like, now I do yoga every morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you were so me. resistant <laughs> to mean, doing stretching. yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I finally I feel like your wife and I finally got you to say, all right, I'll do it. If we, if we call it advanced stretching, <laughs> uh, but look at you now admitting uh, that you're doing yoga. I was, I was, I was almost there. I'm still, in, I'm still in <laughs> advanced stretching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is, I mean, there, I think a lot of things also come through pain, you know, as you maybe set goals and measure success in a way that is for lack of a better word, maybe false, you know, and, or you set up something and you, 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 you fail at it and then you don't, you feel like you're not successful. But if the, the thing is, is if you continue to stand back up and get back up and do and move towards, you know, life or, or meaning or, um, how did he say it? Uh, the, which part, uh, the part that, uh, is kind of right in the middle Oh shoot. You have to let it happen by yeah. not caring about it. Yeah. It's like, well, shoot. Success like happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. Ensue. Yeah. Uh, I think I lost my, my, my train mm-hmm. there. Well, maybe another way to, to think about it is if you're trying to learn some, anything very, very complicated, mm-hmm. let's say a, Um, like a Chopin nocturne on the piano or simply how to write, you know, when you you learn this, when you're, everyone learns to write when they're very young, how do you learn to write? You know, you don't just plop Shakespeare down in front of a child and tell them to start copying it. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're not going to get anywhere. They're not going to learn anything. Yeah. You break everything down into letters and you have them learn the letters, but that's even a bit too much. So you don't even do the letters. You just do the, the different strokes. Like here's an upstroke, here's a downstroke, here's a circle. You know, you, you decompose it into very simple things. You might even just start, just practice straight line, drawing a straight line up and down between the rules on the page. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And then you do this over and over and over and over again. And it's like, Hey, you kind of got it. You got some fine motor control. You can make the lines without going up, up, you know, out of the, the rules on the page and mm-hmm. it's consistent. And it's like, okay, let's go with the letter a, you, you know, and you do that over and over and over again. And then, you know, eventually you don't have to think about, well, how do I copy the words in the Shakespeare play? <clears throat> 
you just read them and you write them. Mm-hmm. And you're not even really aware of the complexity of what's going on with you there. Yeah. And it's the same with learning piano. You know, you don't, I love this song, I want to be able to play it. You don't just go start hacking away at it. It's like any piano teacher is going to be going to say, <clears throat> you know, we'll get there. We're going to start with scales. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play scales. Those aren't fun. They don't sound pretty. Yeah. This isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> you know, uh. well, I know. But you're not going to be able to play this song unless you've got these moves under your fingers. Mm-hmm. You're not going to enjoy playing the song. And so, you know, you do scales and then variations of scales. And the whole time what you're doing is you're, you're well, discovering digestible complexity and then moving that down into the unconscious mus- muscle memory. Hmm. So then when you go try to attack a complicated piece, it's like you've already done 99% of the work without realizing that you were doing it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you play the song and you're like, holy shit. That reminds me of our, that. We, we talked about another episode, I think uh, something similar to this. Where, and then we talked about karate kid and like wax on, wax off mm-hmm. and painting and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not learning anything. He's like, all right, fight. And he's like, Oh, wax off. Wax off. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, Oh my gosh, I was learning all these things this whole time. Right. And it's like, but it was, there was this mundane sort of like, you know, aspect to it that until you start putting the pieces together, that you start to see the complexity. And it's like, once you see the complexity, it's almost then that world just opens up mm-hmm. into, you know, the crane or the, <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many different variations and, and ways to put things together that, uh, it, it's, it's like a whole new world. And I think that's the, I think that's, I think that there's maybe a demonstration and success in that is that you open up a new world, right? You know, something that is, cause it seems like I, I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of battling a few things here. One is like, cause I don't think we're worse. I don't think you can say money, like making money is being successful or, it, it seems like a, there has to be a complexity to being successful uh, or else that you're just kind of like, or you're just, you're, you're dealing with a one dimensional person. <clears throat> yeah. Nobody's interested in a person who simply wants to make money. Yeah. Well, maybe to the degree that maybe you want to make money or be a part of them making money, you know? But do you want to hang out with that person afterwards? <laughs> do you want to, you know, it's, it's like, do they have anything interesting to contribute? I don't know. I'm having a hard time with this a little bit. Cause I want to say that I want to put a definition on success that has to do with a life well lived. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just a, a subjective, um, a subjective idea of success, you know, or is that really is success only subjective in that? However you define it, that that is success. Oh, I like, don't, I don't know. I don't think it's subjective. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could, maybe we could dive into the Spider-Man thing a little bit. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> now that you've seen it, uh-huh. well, we can talk about it. <laughs> So I found that this new Spider-Man No Way Home to be really profound and 
actually, I think to me made, made me consider this question. Like is, is the idea of success subjective? I don't think I was using those words in my head, but I, that, that I think that's the question. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I watched that movie, I thought, well, this is curious because I don't think it is. And I don't think it is because anyone can watch that movie and you're not going to, you're not going to question its axiom. And the axiom is that, and this is true of any Marvel movie or any hero story. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's better to be good than to be evil. No one, no one disagrees with that. I mean, I think in a sense, even people who are behaving in evil ways Mm -hmm. still agree with that. And they They might despise it or whatever. And they they, think mm -hmm. they're being good in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But it just astounded me that, that we don't question that we don't, we don't question how curious it is that we would all agree on that basic premise we, we, so much a, so that we don't even articulate it. Like, like what about Thanos? Like he thought he was being good. Right. But in, in that story, we all know that he's the villain mm-hmm. and we all know that it's better to be good and he should be stopped. And, and you can set up all sorts of different stories about what is good and what is evil and what mm-hmm. makes one good or evil. And we can have, you know, endless amounts of nuance and argument about that. But we all agree on the general direction. Well, what if it also comes down to what your reference point is? Um, and I've heard, um, what's that guy's name? The, the oil guy, Epstein. Um, Epstein's the well, yeah, sex Yeah, he, he's got another Epsilon or, oh shoot. He does a lot of stuff on climate and oil and... Alex wine. Epstein? I think so. Alex Epstein. Oh, the guy that wrote The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of makes this point as far as like what your reference point is. It's like, is it for the flour- the flourishing of humankind or is it for the flourishing of the earth? And when your reference point is the earth, you can, you can more justify the... Ex, ex, extermination of a, of a, of, of people or, right. You know, because your, your reference point and what you value the most is the earth and not human flourishing and human flourishing includes the earth because it takes the earth to, for humans to flourish. Right. But, and having the, the earth as your sort of reference point, the earth doesn't take humans to flourish. So you'd be, it'd be more, it'd be, uh, it'd be more, it would be okay in that, in that sort of framework to sort of exterminate humans from the earth because it is, it is better for the earth. In that, in that right. Well, so I think that would start to begin to paint a picture of, well, what is success more broadly? What is good? Mm-hmm. And ultimately what is good is whatever results in the successful flourishing of our species Mm -hmm. or said another way, the successful propagation of our species or the avoidance of extinction of our species. Like anything that moves in that direction is good. And anything that moves in the other direction isn't. Mm -hmm. 
And so, so Thanos, for example, would say, well, the, the earth isn't flourishing. The people who live here now aren't flourishing. Mm-hmm. It would be better if we killed half of them. And, and from outside his perspective, we can all look at that and say, no, that's not good. But from within his perspective, you can, mm-hmm. you can sort of, this is what makes him a good villain, is that you can adopt his perspective. You can play that out. You can see, you can see his logic mm-hmm. and judge it. Yeah. And his logic's pretty kind of sound in the way that he mm-hmm. presents it. And you're, it's, it's very convincing. But it doesn't work at the individual, at the individual level. Like, mm-hmm. who chooses to, who to be sacrificed, you know? And I guess right. that was kind of the whole thing is, like, the snapping of his fingers was a random, arbitrary, truly just, because it wasn't a choosing. Like, mm-hmm. you're not choosing Jews over Muslims or over Christians or over, you know, there was some sort of chaotic oh, I hadn't justice. Thought of, I hadn't thought about that way. It's just a more sophisticated version of Nazism, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, same end goal. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to discriminate. We're going to use a computer program. Who dies? Yeah, whoever gets a green light uh, is good. Right, whoever right. gets a red light goes away. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, so back to your question is success subjective and i think in many ways there's many ways to define success in which yes that's subjective mm-hmm. you know for example back to <clears throat> whether or not our podcast is successful mm-hmm. like subjectively to you and i yes it, on at least one metric mm-hmm. um but to someone who doesn't know us no it's not and there's no way to make yeah. that case for them mm-hmm. but those are those are limited I mean, ultimately, I think we all agree, well, we all agree on what some idea of ultimate success means. Mm-hmm. Like the look back on your life's kind of success. Mm-hmm. Like we all know, and maybe we can't all articulate it in a way that we agree, mm-hmm. but I think in general, we can see it and agree that we've seen it. Yeah. I definitely see that we're kind of, we're stumbling around here a little bit because there is a sort of a subjective element and it, and it seems like there is, it's important in how you how and how you judge and what you're, re- I, I come back to the reference point again, is because I think to determine success, it is measured against something to be able, or there's some sort of reference point that sort of like acknowledges that that is success. And so I, I could, I could come back to that. There's, there's sort of narrow, ideas of success and then there's more like broader terms of success <clears throat> like someone might be a successful musician but again back to that but not maybe a failure as a ha- husband or a father, father. Yeah, yeah exactly so i mean i guess to, in order to talk about success you have to put boundaries on it which sort of like <laughs> dis, mm-hmm. like disqualify it in other ways yeah but back to the sports analogy and Michael Jordan, which for some reason we've been fond of talking about yeah. <laughs> recently. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he was not a successful basketball player mm-hmm. up through college. You know, he was kind of fine. He was decent. Yeah. And so if that, if you stop telling the story there, you go, was Michael, Michael Jordan a successful basketball player? Mm-hmm. The answer is no. Yeah. But if you keep telling the story, it's like he, 
I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that success is, is an iterable game. Mm-hmm. You know, you might lose every game one season, but what do you learn from that? And what do you do about it? Do you come back and win every game the next season? Mm-hmm. How do you turn something that is not a success into a success? And is, is it necessary to, to go through that in order to be successful? And I think just like success is an iterated game, it's not, you, you don't judge it on its smallest components. Mm. You judge it over the term of the story, which mm. really can only be judged in the hindsight of your life or, or only appropriately judged. Yeah. Cause it, it kind of reminds me of like the, the high school football player that, you know, sort of peaked in high school and won the state championship, but the rest of his life was a ruins, you know? So there, I think there's something that you can celebrate those, that moment. Like, yes, that was a great moment. Or even Michael Jordan, you know, it's like, he's still possibly the greatest of all time basketball players, you know? Yeah. But he's not playing basketball anymore. So is his, is his, is that it? You know, is that, was that his success? And then you just kind of hang up the shoes and then the rest of your life is what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's up to him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people who have been wildly successful at one thing and then retired and never done anything else. Mm-hmm. It's also plenty of people who've taken whatever that was mm-hmm. and pivoted to do something else really amazing with it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, it's it's still a hard thing for me to put my my finger on because I, again do you leave that and then you become you know a successful grandparent right <laughs> you know right. it's it's this so the story of of success cuz i think there's something too to honor cuz i think of a lot of people who get sort of either canceled or uh, uh ridiculed because they grew up in an era that had sort of different norms and maybe social pressures or whatever you want to call it. And so they might've participated in some aspects of that, you know, whether it be racism or, um, you know, uh, I guess racism just is a really easy one, you know? And, but they were also maybe brilliant scientists or something like that. Uh, But then you come across someone like Hitler where (laughs) his atrocities were so huge. Could you ever really say he was six, he was successfully bad or something like that? Or, or were there areas in his life where he was a success? If he would have, if he would have stopped it right there. And I've heard arguments as far as like before world war two and that like he, you, you might have been able to say he was a success in, in bringing the German people out of sort of that situation and poverty. But, when you when you when you expand that out and see the atrocities that he that resulted that resulted from it yeah mm-hmm. that that was no longer <laughs> successful no hitler was not a success <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. but I mean, again no but, but you're right there are yeah. points in his story that you could basically pause the pause the tape mm-hmm. and answer that question in the affirmative yeah i mean even before he was political he was supposedly like a pretty good artist mm-hmm. um but I'm that's feeling like a third rail. I don't want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I'm a little out of my wheels. I, I know enough to kind of ask good questions about it, but not speak. On it. Right. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a hard game to play. I mean, you could play the game with, um, well, Martin Luther King Jr. If you want. Oh, true. Yeah. And that's a, it's another hard one to play. It's, it's mm-hmm. difficult to swallow. And, but again, I, I think that we can all agree when we see it mm-hmm. and then we can quibble over the details, but I think we all would say, well, yeah, Martin Luther King Jr. was worth celebrating as a success, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that goes back to this, this rule that, and I'm just trying this on. It's like, we all know that it's better to be good than evil. And we all know good when we see it. Mm-hmm. And it has something to do with the propagation of our species and the liberation of the individuals that enable that. And MLK certainly did that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think also when you're, especially when you, you know, read biographies and stuff like that, like an MLK or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you do see that it's a mixed bag, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, and it always is. It always is. But it seems like there's sort of like a, a tipping point where like they're kind of on one side or the other, you know, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense, it's still a too subjective. Or well, it's always, it's always precarious. I mean, precarious, back to yeah. the Marvel movies, the Marvel, Marvel movies are really good because they show the precarious nature, both of evil, sorry, both of good and of evil. Mm -hmm. Like the villains are good because you can see the logic. You can see the choice that they're making Mm -hmm. and understand the terms of it. Mm -hmm. Even though you agree that it was the wrong choice. Yeah. And it's, it's the same for the heroes. Mm. The heroes are also precarious. You see them making mistakes. You see them making wrong moves. Mm-hmm. You see them failing, struggling with their own darkness, struggling with the same thing that the villains are struggling with and yet making a different choice. And you always see on the hero side of things, the, that it's, it's almost more precarious. Like they have the room for error is even less and less because the more they move on in their journey, the larger their mistake, their mistakes are. So as a young person, they make mm-hmm. mistakes it would have a small effect, but as they go on in their hero journey, it's like they're, they might be bent on doing good, but anytime they make a mistake, those mistakes affect a larger amount of people with great power comes great great responsibility. responsibility. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. That's a really interesting observation. It becomes more difficult the more successful you are at being good mm-hmm. than it does sort of in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Like once you've chosen the dark side, it's not difficult to keep choosing the dark side. No. Once you've chosen the light side, what's the, what's the star Wars opposite of dark side? Is it the light the side? Force. The force, <laughs> the force side. <laughs> You're going to be constantly tempted. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the same could be said about the dark side. Like you're constantly tempted towards the light. I don't think so. Well, like even Darth Vader was tempted by, by Luke. This seems to me like there's something more secure about <clears throat> the decision to move to the evil side. Mm-hmm. 
and, and maybe secure is the wrong word, but it definitely seems like more like uphill, downhill. Like it's I mean, easier to go downhill than it is to go uphill. Well, it, it, it's even talked about this way in our religious and mythological stories. I mean, it's like in any given story, take the Bible, for example, it's who's tempted. Hmm. Yeah, true. Jesus is the one tempted, not Satan. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Mm-hmm. It's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think we've sort of set up the shape and feel of an answer, but I don't really know what it is. Well, I think too, is like if you're, you know, villains can also do good things, but their goal is not to do good. It's like they might help somebody, but it's, it's an order for a more sinister plot, you know, like I, I just, we just watched Harry Potter, uh, the fourth one, uh, with our youngest daughter and, um, uh, you know, uh, mad eyed Moody got taken over by Alistair, whatever his name is, but he was a, a dark death eater. Uh, he took over, uh, Alistair Moody's, Moody's body by his potion anyways. So he's acting, he's a death eater and he, he tricks, Harry Potter into going into the maze and getting this portal, but he had to over a long period of time help Harry to win the Triwizard, you know, tournament, but it was for this evil. So he was helping him out and Harry felt like, Oh, this guy's nice. And he's helping me, but it was for an ultimate, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, deception at the end, you know, which further goes to make the point that <clears throat> it's like, it's an iterable game. You have to think of it that way. Otherwise you might look at the one, you know, the one iteration and be like, Oh, you're helping me. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're helping me. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're helping me. And you're like, Oh no, you were fooling me yeah. the whole time. You were leading me into a play, a place of great catastrophe of ultimate loss. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the final move of this was if I had known, if I had seen it coming, I wouldn't have accepted my small wins Exactly, because yeah. they're not useful in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. God, you're just like, you're pulling out so many things here because like, uh, there's also that aspect of, you know, whenever someone is doing and trying to do their best and there are maybe in that situation helping and stuff like that. But then at some point they just turn and no longer want, want to do good, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so you can almost go back and make all or all everything that they did, as evil, you know, or as mm-hmm. bad when, or a step down that road. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> but where like, you know, I think that's where, you know, wisdom is like, you're both the King and the fool. And, mm-hmm. and to be able to see that, I think that's where even with, I, I you know, Peterson talks about this and Solzhenitsyn talks about this, but seeing yourself in the Nazi guard, it's like, you know, I think that's, super valuable. Like even with Luke Skywalker, you know, dad, you're my dad. You're not Darth Vader, you know, and being able to see the, the human Hmm. part of people, even, even when people are not maybe acting in a way that is good. But once you, once you demonize somebody, then they actually, you almost empower them to be the evil or be the bad person. 
like I might as well just do this because that's what everybody thinks about me anyways, you know? So mm-hmm. it almost empowers it <clears throat> rather than, you know, you always hear about the bad student, <clears throat> the teacher that believes in them, <clears throat> you know, that teacher always saw the good in them and kind of always almost called them back to that higher calling. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to stuff the word success into something that's something maybe not that it's, it's, it's like being too broad with the word success. Well, necessarily. So I think everything that we're hitting on here is, is suggesting that there is some ultimate way to see things Mm -hmm. that you have to be oriented toward in order for any given decomposed evaluation of success to have any meaning or value at all. Because if you look at small wins in the context of, well, in their own context, you say, Mm -hmm. well, that's good. But if you add those up and those lead you to betrayal, you didn't realize that you were actually involved in a much larger game in which your wins were working against you. Mm -hmm. Well, then you didn't really understand the game you were playing and you were a fool And that wasn't a success, clearly. Mm -hmm. And you could even take that and iterate that over a number of of times. It's like, in order to talk about it, in order to talk about what's good, in order to talk about what's successful, you have to think not just in terms of a lifetime, but also in terms of generations. Mm -hmm. And even more broadly, in terms of infinity. Okay, so this this, this is a... I think that's why religious language, symbolic language is, is more effective mm-hmm. in this area is like, you know, what is a successful life? And specifically in Christianity, I think it really is, it's such helpful, um, it's such a helpful paradigm to put that in is like, there's only one, one thing that is good and that is God. And you are measured against that. And, you know, at the end of your life, you come before God and, and he says, my good and faithful servant. And that something about that serving good, you know, serving God is kind of like, that's what you're measuring yourself against. And so that you can see sort of like, I think where that good and faithful servant comes from is sort of like that acknowledgement of how you fall short of that, but then also seeing how you succeeded in accomplishing it at the same time, like that those two things exist at the same time. Hmm. But there's something in the being able to acknowledge your shortcomings and your successes equates into that successful life. Right. You know, that good and faithful servant or a job well done. But it it has to be, I think it has to come from that. Again, it goes back to this, like um, the inheritance cycle has this whole thing about your, I mentioned this like probably like episode 12 or something like that, but the inheritance cycle is a children's adolescent book. And there's this whole thing about your true name. And when you hear your true name, it, it's sort of like, it almost like speaks all your successes and all your failures. It encompasses your whole entire life. You, how you loved, how you lived, how you worked. And if someone spoke that to you, it's both painful and joyful. Mm -hmm. And depending on where you are on that journey, it can either, cripple you and, t- and just crumble you because the weight of your name 
you did nothing with it. Mm-hmm. And, it and your name just basically tells you that you did nothing with it's what a I judge and it finds you mm-hmm. lacking. I gave you, I gave you this token and you buried it in the ground and did nothing with it. Maybe that's why mythology in general or religion in general is obsessed with renaming people. Mm, true. A good point. Yeah. Like, Cause that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then the other idea in Christianity at least is like, if you, if you see God, you die. <laughs> if you encounter an angel, you're probably at least blind and deaf for a month. Mm-hmm. Why would that be? It's, I don't know that it matters whether or not that that's sort of like physically or objectively true, you know, but if you imagine in the deepest, darkest part of your heart, most protected part of your heart, the person you know you could be. And then if you were wildly successful at being that person, Mm -hmm. and then that person had a name that could communicate the success of that. Mm -hmm. And if that name was your true name was given to you when you're 20, you would be absolutely crushed by it Mm. because you're so full of self-doubt. You're so full of, well, you're weak. Mm -hmm. You're not well constituted. And you say to someone, you're going to be all of this and all of the trueness of that. And it's not just rich and it's not just healthy and strong. And it's, it's like, it's indescribable. Mm -hmm. And you, and you reveal that to someone, they would be so lacking as to not be able to even withstand the knowledge. It's like back to this thing that we were saying earlier about how do you communicate to a young person or to, to a person who hasn't learned the basic skills of any given thing, the joy of what they will experience once they understand them and can put them together. Well, you can't, they're not far, far, far enough along to even understand how to have that joy. They haven't tasted enough of it to know that it exists. Mm-hmm. So it's like you put all of that on a person, you put a per- person's true name on them. It makes me in this context. It's like, I understand why if you see God, you die, you mm-hmm. couldn't handle it. Yeah. It reveals, it reveals so much that you can't. Yeah. And, it's, and maybe it's not just death. Maybe it's, it's so intolerable to you mm-hmm. that you can't, well, it's like, it's so, it's so different than what you know mm. or what you believe about yourself that it becomes intolerable to see. Mm. And so you, well, you make the decision that the villain does in a really good hero story. You turn away, you run from it. You, you, you resent it and mm. take your revenge on it mm. by turning to the dark side, mm. becoming evil and destructive, destructive. And, you know, is that, the same thing as death. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, <clears throat> I mean, this is what the way we talk about things. Ultimately, we talk about them in terms of <clears throat> like heaven and hell. Mm. The ultimate death isn't death; it's hell. Yeah, it's death iterated. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's like even a living hell is. Well, it's worse <clears throat> than death. Right? Worse than death. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, do you want to pivot or do you want to, I don't know. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, I feel like we kind of go a few different directions here. 
Well, I have one thing unrelated that I wanted to talk about and I'm tempted to go there just because it's, it's like, uh, what's the word relevant to the current time. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Why the hell not? It's a COVID thing. You want to do a COVID thing? (laughs) A COVID thing. (laughs) That's kind of a big pivot. We're in bonus minutes right now. We're in bonus minutes? All right. So there's the bonus episode, guys. (laughs) Welcome to the shores of ignorance. (laughs) Well, I wanted to point out, because we've talked, um, we've hit on this theme a lot over the, over the eps. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing it emerge right now. And it's just, it's just really fun to see and exciting. And I think it's that, um, so there's, there's this meme that's been going around over the last week, which is CDC says, have you seen this? No, no, <laughs> I'm shocked. Well, I wasn't reacting to your post. I've oh, right. This. You were busy. <laughs> um, well, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it might be hard to set up. I'm going to set it up. I'm going to do my best. No, I already, I already know where you're going. With this. You know what yeah. I'm going. Um, Okay, so about a week ago, this happened, actually, yeah, around Christmas weekend, the CDC put out a, um, you know, updated guidance. And it said something like, the CDC now recommends quarantining for five days after first symptoms mm-hmm. rather than the previous 10. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's been this, um, this has turned into a meme over the last week particularly on Twitter mm-hmm. and it's CDC says, and I'm, I'm just going to read you some of them and then try to make <laughs> my point about why I think this is fascinating and actually really important. <clears throat> um, some of the best ones I saw, uh, uh, this one's from the Babylon Bee. CDC says men can now safely use the urinal right next to another guy's urinal. <laughs> <coughs> um, CDC says now you don't have to wash your hands after going to the bathroom as long as you love Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) The CDC says it's now safe to look directly at the sun. Um, CDC says you can now eat one of those silica gel packets if you're feeling a little hungry. (laughs) Um, And then this one was really funny. The The CDC says just wear jeans and a cute top. So this random sampling is, is awesome because it's funny and it's sort of, well, it's a meme because you know, it's funny, but you don't exactly know why it's funny. Um, but I'm going to try to make the case for why it's funny (laughs) and why it's very important. And I think, uh, um, uh, what do you call like a sign, uh, weather, uh, something bell, bellwether, bellwether, yeah, bellwether Uh for, for something good. Okay. Good. Okay. It's funny because it points out the absurd, arbitrary nature of the CDC saying we recommend quarantining for five days. Hmm. And we all know that that's why it's funny. And that's why all of those, the the theme of all of those things that I just read you are just absurd things. Mm -hmm. They're not absurd in any particular direction. They're just absurd and funny mm-hmm. because of that. And so I think the emergence of this and the acceptance of this meme and that it's spreading without a, bu- without a bunch of negative pushback is it's like, we're all admitting that the CDC's guidance has been arbitrary. Mm-hmm. 
based in policy, not science. Hmm. But you're not allowed to say that. And up until this week, you weren't even allowed to joke about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I'm seeing these memes come and I'm like, okay, we're, we're joking about it, which means we all see it. Hmm. And we're all acknowledging it by joking about it. Yeah. But it's still not safe to say it directly. Hmm. And it's another thing that you and I, I think, hit on a lot, which is that things move into the cultural consciousness first via comedy and then via art or maybe both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing this acceptance to poke fun at the CDC as like something new is moving into the cultural consciousness. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's moving in a direction that I think is really good. Yeah. Good in that we are acknowledging the absurdity because for the past two years, it has not been okay to acknowledge the absurdity of so many of the things that we've done. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that that's gone on far longer than I ever expected, that has terrified me. Yeah. And I thought if it keeps going this way, do we remain blind long enough to commit atrocities, the likes of which we said we would never let happen again. Yeah. And so I see this as like a breaking of something and some light shining through and like, I'm tempted to bring Victor Havel into this Hmm. because he talks about, um, post totalitarianism and ideology as being this like veneer that wraps society Hmm. and, nothing can be allowed to penetrate it in or out. Otherwise the whole system falls down. But every once in a while, truth can be spoken in a way that causes a crack in it and some light shines through. And that's what this felt like Hmm. to me. Yeah. You've definitely seen this cracking, you know, narrative, you know, just to give a, a short timeline here, you know, probably the first from March until probably August, we all, no one knew what the hell was going on. We were all just kind of all over the place. And, and then kind of August till, till now, this sort of, sort of, there's been a compliance, but then things have kind of slowly become a little bit more and more absurd. And now you're kind of even seeing the white house say, Oh, we can't do anything about this. It's a state's issue. Right. Um, cloth masks are shown to not be useful. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, just now, the studies week, now show studies that obesity sh- is a major yeah. uh, factor in COVID risk. Yeah, you were not allowed to say whether, you know, what other like comorbidities were having a huge impact on, you know, whether it was be older people or, you know, obesity or, or whatever it might be, because that was seen as insensitive, where it was actually just science. Yeah. You know, this is what the studies show. This is what's happening. And it's only recently that we're, it's okay or we're being able to acknowledge those things. Right. And so you, you, as we start to look back, you do see, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you do see this sort of acceptance of a narrative that was kind of not entirely true. And as it became more untrue, yeah, I mean, well, by definition, it's a narrative. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Yeah. It's a narrative. Yeah. Yeah. At least based upon some very simplistic idea of what reality is, I think. Mm-hmm. But 
or even the ridiculousness, like my kids are in school, but UT is going to go back, is going to be remote for two weeks. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like all the science, if we want to talk about science, it's like it affects it, it since the very beginning, you know, basically zero to 25 to 30 year olds have such little, yeah, no, such yeah, little impact yeah. on, on them right. as if the flu. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the numbers. Well, so I don't want to get too bogged yeah, yeah, down into, <laughs> into COVID. I, I think what I want to leave this little, little, mm-hmm. uh, bonus segment with is that I don't think that you can tell <clears throat> what's going on with a people or a society by looking at the things that the society says officially, let's say oh, mm-hmm. you can tell what's going on by looking at a society's comedy. And that can be both a warning and, uh, and a, well, like a, an ushering, ushering in of something good, like a breaking of something. Mm. Which is why I think <clears throat> sites like the Babylon Bee and the Onion <clears throat> are well-respected and really liked. Mm-hmm. It's not because it makes us laugh. It's because it shows us something that can't be said. Uh, yeah. Not can't be said because you might be censored partly that, mm-hmm. but also just literally can't be said. Mm-hmm. We don't know what we're talking about well enough yet to say it, mm-hmm. but we know how to joke about it. Yeah. And once and it, it, things exist in that space, like before we know what it is that we're talking about, things exist in that space for a while before you can even joke about them. Like you have to know them well enough to joke about them. Mm-hmm. Like I can't tell a joke about a person I just met, mm-hmm. but once I've hung out with them enough, I can start to joke with them because we share common, some commonality enough. Yeah. And so I think when you start to see jokes and memes emerge, it's telling you something about the direction Mm -hmm. of society or where society really is in a way that you can't get from the media or the white house or even just like a quick conversation with a friend. It's like indication of what's emerging. Mm Mm-hmm. And if we can start to see the absurdity of our behavior, like that's, that's to not to say like no judgment on any of the things we've done, mm-hmm. but we've clearly, there's, we've clearly been absurd Yeah. without having to agree on the ways that we've been as absurd. We've been absurd, you know, left, right, all over. Mm-hmm. And if we can start joking about that, well, it means that we're comfortable enough and safe enough that we can start looking at it. Yeah. And that's good news. It is good news. So. I like that. Should we end it there? Let's do it. All right. (laughs) All right. Cheers. To a new uh, century. To a new century. (laughs) Love you all out there. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you guys. See See you next time. (laughs) Bye. Like a Lamar Burton sign off for you.